This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, it's Bert. I'd like to ask for a small favor. If you plan on buying my book, Life of the Party, then please pre-order it at BertBertBert.com. The pre-order sales are literally the determining factor on how well the book does opening week, and how well it does opening week determines how well the book does overall. Writing this book is one of the proudest achievements of my entire life, and I want to share it with as many people as I can. You pre-ordering it makes that possible. So do me a solid, pull out your credit card, and go to BertBertBert.com and pre-order Life of the Party. Thank you so much. You know I love you. Today's guest, songwriter, producer, and guitarist currently on Hugh Laurie's world tour, my friend, Mark Goldenberg. This is another cast. Today, in the man cave, our friend, Mark Goldenberg. I say our friend because Leanne's in here too. Say hi, Leanne. Hi. And <clears throat> I'm making sure the levels are okay. Mark is, oh, well, we're going to get into a ton but Mark has his guitar with him. Mark's wife is one of my most favorite people. She's a lovely, she literally is. lovely person. She is What's fantastic. She really is. Here, play play something in the so I can hear if the mic's picking it up. All right. It's a little sloppy up front, everybody. But that's just because it's going to work. You can plug. You can hook it onto this. It might be easier. No, this is, this is good. Okay. Um, it's a little sloppy up front, everybody. It's okay. Getting it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So Mark's going to play a little guitar sometimes, but we're going to talk. Most importantly, I'll start off with the story that introduced me to Mark. I don't know if Mark's heard. The one with Benny. Good story. So, oh, here, talking to... Uh, sometimes known as Bernard. Bernard. I call him Bernard. Bernard, Bernard so, is, his, is his seven-year-old son. Is he seven yeah. or is he eight yet? He's seven. He's seven. Okay. He's as tall as a nine-year-old. Here, hold that. Hold that when, when we're talking just so that uh, we get good levels. Uh, it's, not, it's not a real professional rig here, Mark. This is pro quality. No, yeah. It's pro, it's, yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so two years ago, I was hosting the fair. Last year. Last year, I was hosting the fair, and Mark is a part of a band called The Village Idiots. The Valley Village. Valley Village Idiots. Well, first of all, the fair is the big fundraiser for our school. Um, every year, it happens in May. Yeah. And uh, there's always a live, a lot of live entertainment from the kids and some parents. And the first time we ever went to the fair, I saw Luke Perry. Yes. Playing. He was a parent. Playing the guitar on stage with the dude with the long hair with the beard. You know that guy? The dude with the long Dan hair with the Bull? beard. Dan Bull. Dan Yeah. Yeah. Dan is a, a dad at the school. He yeah. makes amplifiers, guitar amps. For a living. Seriously? Yeah, he's got a company called 65 Wait, Amps. the dude with the beard? Yeah, and the long hair. That's Dan Gould. Shut up. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I thought the guy with the feathered hair, like the really good hair, the guy that like, his hair looks like it's off a Ken doll. 
Yeah, that's that's. Then who are you talking about? The dude with the long hair, with the leather jacket, oh, the and the motorcycle oh, boots. No, that's that's uh, Lulu's dad. Yes. Yeah, he's a, also a, a musician, studio guy, uh, uh, big guitarist. He was big. with. Um, uh, what's so funny? What's so funny is I took pictures with a guy named Jeff Katz, big rock uh, photographer for right. my for my book, and. Jeff Katz was showing me pictures of, I want to say, like River Phoenix's sister's band, Summer Phoenix or Rain Phoenix. And he was in that band. He, he was in the picture. I went, that dad, that dad goes to our school. So here's Crazy. the. Kirk. Kirk, <clears throat> yes, that's Kirk. right. Kirk Kelly is his name. Boy. He's really nice. A long time. You can edit out the space. Stinking, digging, name, face, hair. But what's so fascinating is there's. So back to Bernard. So Benny at the time is maybe in kindergarten, first grade last year first grade and i'm standing behind and so at this fair they bring all the parents that have which is really interesting there are a lot of parents that are in the in the arts in at this school so it kind of seeps through to the kids a little bit but the parent the band the valley village idiots is about to go up and benny is standing there staring at me and i have the microphone in my hand and i'm looking at the intros and he looks at me he goes are we gonna wait for mark goldenberg and i go who he goes mark goldenberg i said who's mark goldenberg he goes my dad I go, why do you call him Mark Goldenberg? He goes, because that's his name. And then walks away from me. <laughs> and I go, I grab someone. I go, whose kid is that? And then I, and someone goes, oh, that's Gabby's brother. I went, shut up. So now, and now I have, oddly enough, I play baseball with Benny and Gabby, Mark's children, and with Georgia and Isla. We all play softball together out at the park. And, uh, and so now I know Benny very well. He's, and so, but that was my introduction to him and my introduction to you. Now, okay, go ahead. Sorry. So Benny, you know, he's like got a future in stand-up. I'm pretty sure. He is so. He is I was telling. So he's. We're, by the way. And he's so good looking. He's, yeah, good? he's a little bit of a stud. Oh, my Lord. So we're playing uh, softball the other day. And all the kids are getting upset because they don't want outs. No outs. And Benny, even Benny's like, no outs. I don't want outs. But he's in the field and he's going, strike one. When, and George is batting. And she goes, Daddy, I don't want to do strikes. I go, Benny, we're not doing strikes. He goes, okay. Throws it again. I throw it again. Georgia misses. Strike two. I go, and she goes, Daddy, tell him to stop. I go, Benny, we're not doing strikes unless you want to do strikes. If you want to do strikes, we'll all do strikes. He goes, I don't want to do strikes. I go, okay, no strikes then. He goes, okay. So I throw it again. Georgia swings and misses. He goes, strike three. And Georgia starts crying. I go, Benny, listen, we said no strikes. That means no strikeouts. He goes, no, I know. He can't help. So, so he can't help himself, right? He I can't. throw one more to Georgia. She swings and misses it under his breath. I hear strike four. <laughs> So, uh, but so so now to get come full circle. So we're in the man cave the other day. I always knew you're a musician. I always knew you, I I knew, and we'll get to. I want to get to your career. What got you? All of that. But most importantly, Jackson Brown was like the that was the band that we listened to when we were on the tour, tour with Jameson. And you brought that up the other day in the man cave, or someone brought it up, and I started talking to you about it. And I said you should come over to a podcast. Then last night, Margaret says. Do you want me to email some of Mark's who he's worked with over to you? And Leanne and I are like, no, no, no. We'll just hang out and talk. And then I go, you know what? Do it. Just do it. We'll take a look. Holy shit, Mark. <laughs> we, we about uh, laid an egg. My first question <laughs> is, who have you not worked with that you always wanted to work with? Because you've worked with everybody. Oh, uh, wow. I would, well... Dead or alive, or yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Let's I've worked with so many people that I, I've worked with so many that were on my list of people that I'd like to work with. Well, yeah. Who to work with Eric Clapton is a guy I've never really oh, worked with. Oh, yeah. I bet as a like, guitar player. Yeah. yeah. Well, who was, who was the first person you worked with where you went, where you said to yourself, holy shit. Oh, I'm- wanted, this is a good story. I was in college. I was in a band in Chicago and we had a manager guy and he knew this guy who played piano for William Shatner. Oh, right. So I got hired, and this is the first recording session I ever did. I got hired to play on a record for William Shatner. He's doing a spoken word record. This is like, you know, he had a record out that where he did a version of Mr. Tambourine Man, and that was pretty much, I got to say the word hit, but that's a pretty loose. Yeah. 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 It was his hit. Yeah. Quotation marks. And then I worked, so I got hired to play on like his follow up album. This must be in 70. Two, mm-hmm. one seventy-two. So, I'm in the studio with William Shatner, and and like this is the early William Shatner, you know. Yeah. Like, good toupee. Uh, <laughs> nice tush. I mean, he was a good-looking guy, and he's really nice. And and they just said, they said, listen, just go over there and just play something that sounds like Baroque music. So I, I'd been, you know, I brought my classical guitar. So I sat in the corner and I just played some like pseudo Elizabethan stuff and then he started like reciting poetry and I'm like oh my god I'm in the studio with William Shatner he's reciting poetry he's got toupee <laughs> this is insane and this is I'm in Chicago I'd never, it was like really the first time I'd ever worked with anybody professional so that was pretty amazing I have a good William Shatner story he brought me in for a general meeting to play an actor in a movie he was producing about comedians who broke into a funeral to meet their stars. Uh, like, a, like, say, like, Don Rickles dies, and it's a bunch of young comics who, break, who crash the funeral to meet all the legends. And then all come to terms with everything. And so he's, but he sits there, and he's very, like, kind of deep, Gabriel. That's all he does is blow the damn thing. No, we're good. Yeah, keep going, keep going. So We could open the door. Yeah. I know, it's landscaping day. So he... Um, he says to me, he goes, he goes, uh, he literally sits down and the first question he goes, I'd like to see you cry. I went, excuse me? He goes, I'd like to see how you cry. How would you cry? And I was like, it's, and I think I, I was like, oddly enough, I know exactly how I cry. I cry by myself in a bathroom. And he goes, that's great. That's where this character cries. I'd like to see it. And I, so I started to fake cry in front of him, but I felt so silly. I started laughing. And then I kept going, <laughs> and he started, he goes, this is perfect. This is perfect. And that's all he said. And then I left. And I, like I fake cried for the William Shatner. I was like, I just met Captain Kirk. <laughs> so William Shatner was the first person? Yeah, he was. So now this, you started your you started playing in Chicago. Yeah, I started, I was, uh, you know, went to music school in Chicago. I grew up, my mom was a musician and uh, we had a lot of music in the house. So I, it was just, you know kind of required that I'd get piano lessons and French horn. And I started playing guitar when I was in high school. Really? Me too. All my kids, all the kids, you know, in my neighborhood, you know, the Beatles came out. It was like, okay, we're all getting guitars. Let's get in the car and go yeah. play guitars, you know? And, uh, so I, I played guitar and I, I got in a band when I was 16, a bunch of older guys. I got in a band cause I owned a fuzz tone, which is this thing that you plug into your guitar that makes it sound fuzzy. Yeah. And this was like, you know, late 60s, early 70s. It was kind of like the sound. I didn't know how I... I actually don't know how I got this fuzz tone. I got it. Yeah. I got in a band with a bunch of older guys. 
some some guys on the northwest side of Chicago that worked. Worked. What a concept. A band that worked. So I was in a working band. Wow. Shut right up. That. I started early with a bunch of older guys. So, And we used to play in Chicago. At the time, you could play in clubs five nights a week, six nights a week. You'd play three or four sets a night. So I just What type played. of music? It was mostly soul mm-hmm. and, you know, like... Uh, soul bands with horns. It was like in those days you had to have like a horn section. It was kind of the uh, offspring of bands like Chicago and Blood, Sweat and Tears. But we played lots of dance music and soul and whatever we could play because you had to play like four sets a night. So you had to learn a million songs. Oh my that was my God. that was my problem. Wow, four sets a night. I when I was in a band, I was the front man and I would lose my voice after three songs, which is problematic. That's going to hold you back. <laughs> it's problematic Maybe, yeah. for a front man. May not have been using his diaphragm. I had I had (laughs) planned on the lifestyle of a front man to carry over so much that people didn't care about the singing. Yeah, it's a charisma based uh, (laughs) career. Yeah, Yeah, I was uh, I was more sold on the lifestyle of a front man than the actual uh, working technique of a front man. So, um, so Leanne and I went through your list last night, like literally dueling banjos. Like we went through all the people you've played with that you've wrote with. And we were like... It was such a span of different types of music, too. Like the Highwaymen. I saw you work yeah. with them. That's completely different. For those who don't know the Highwaymen. It's Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, Nelson, Johnny Cash. Johnny and Cash and uh, Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings. Yeah. Some are still around. God, Waylon Jennings. I just yeah. have... I have... All I remember is the scene from uh, Walk... Not Walk This Way. Walk Hard. No, wait. What's the what's the movie with, about Johnny Cash? Walk the Line. Walk the Line, line. where uh, Waylon Jennings is crashing on his couch. Oh, I thought you were yeah. going to remember the scene from The Muppets when he picks up uh, <laughs> The Muppets and sings that that song in The Muppets. You don't remember the... No. Not mm. Muppets. No, the Bird, Big Bird movie. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Did you know that Waylon Jennings was supposed to go on the plane with uh, uh, Buddy Holly? And no. he gave up his seat to the Big Bopper or Buddy, not Buddy Holly, so the other guy. Richie Valens. Richie Valens. He gave up his seat. No. Because uh, Richie had a cold or something like that. So he said, yeah, you go on the plane. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Let's think theoretically for one second. Do you think that had Richie Valens lived, relations like the Mexican-American community would be in a different place today than they are today? Not saying they're good or bad, but do you think he was so pivotal in, he was huge, right? in, and he was about to be huger. I mean, he was uh, he was earmarked. Yeah, I'm sure it would be. Yeah, different. Like it was, it, it, it one man had such an impact on the way on maybe acceptance and like where things would be. I swear to God, Gabriel just comes here and uses the blower. He makes his wife do all the work, and he just uses the blower. She mows the lawn, rakes up the leaves. He just blows them into a corner. Anyway, um, you know what my wife did? She bought a blower for our guy, a, like a electric blower. Yeah, because she doesn't want the gas fumes going to the. Inner- oh, my that's wife, right. Is my it- wife is so like she's green. She's very green. She's the greenest person I've ever met. You guys have a hybrid Escalade. Yes, we do. <laughs> Please don't hate us. <laughs> no, no. She's so green. But we she's didn't blue. get the spinning rims. Thank no, God. No, good. Oh. You know, yeah. our, we got the car because uh, we knew the person that owned it, and he had unfortunately passed. Really? So we got a great deal on the car, but it's like literally Margaret's dream car. Yes. Because they don't really make anything bigger. There's yeah. no bigger car than the Escalade that's hybrid. Right. It's a, it's a good... We had a, we had a Tahoe for a while. Or not Tahoe. A Denali. So, okay. So, let's go back. So, I wrote down okay. some of the people you worked with. Okay. So, so um, Waylon Jennings. What's Waylon Jennings like? He was fantastic. Really? Well, we, I worked on a Highwayman record with him and a solo record of his. And um, 
he was really really nice his wife was really sweet uh he's you know he sent me a waylon jennings jacket after the the record was over i've gotten some pretty good gifts i bet your swag closet is it was he said i'm sending you a leather jacket it it was like a, it was actually a denim jacket with leather sleeves with a giant W on the back. Oh my like god! Like the entire back was the W, <laughs> but it was great. And then I worked I worked on a record for. Uh, he plays guitar with John Bon Bon Jovi. Oh, Richie Sambora. Richie Sambora. That's so okay. The only reason I know That's Richie Sambora is that uh, my high school girlfriend was his girlfriend for like eight years. Fantastic. Yeah, and then they broke up. I don't know what happened, but she but she toured with Bon Jovi. Nice. Yeah, but what's even more hilarious is that she did not like Bon Jovi. Like that's so not her style of music at all. So she must have been in it for the for the love. Just fall in love, right? Yeah, she just fell in love. You can't control. You even fall in Hitler love with. Had a girlfriend, right? <laughs> even Hitler. Had a... <laughs> I love his mustache. <laughs> yeah. Richie gave me. I worked on a record. It was funny. I worked on a record for Richie, playing rhythm guitar. And going in, I knew he was going to erase what I did. And yeah. It was just a guy. He just needed a guy to be in the studio to play some rhythm guitar. Yeah. So the tracks would get cut. I was kind of like, you know, just the guy that a uh, placeholder. Yeah. Kind of like a placeholder guy. Yeah. But he gave me a Gucci CD case. Ooh. Really? It's really nice. I left it in my car. It got stolen out of my car. No. Yes. Oh. Oh my God. You know, shame on me for leaving a Gucci CD case. Sadly, what a um, the people that would break into a car would totally covet a Gucci. Yeah. Like that is that is right in that demographic. Anyone who breaks into a car is really loving a Gucci CD case. Absolutely. Um. Now. Uh. Now. When this is a weird question, but like, so you work with like. Huge rock stars like a guy like Richie Sambora. I can't imagine him not in with his hair. And do they do people roll into the studio just in their pajamas? Uh, you know, most of the people that I've worked with are, are pretty much get dressed for work. Really? Yeah. I mean, I can't remember anyone exactly in pajamas, but yeah, usually you're going in the studio. There's going to be twenty people around. A lot of times they're film now. Nowadays to do a session, they're filming everything. You know, really? Filming everything. I bet you're filming right now, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's the thing? What's the thing that got you? What like? What's the thing that got you in with so many people? Like, what's your thing where everyone was like, "Oh, we need like that your tipping point." Yeah, like what? What was the thing that what they? Do I, what do I do? Like what? Like what's the um? Like I'm trying to think. Like if you're looking for mandolins, you go to the guy who played with uh, the guy. Like I'm thinking of one record a long time ago that I think Jerry Garcia played with this guy with mandolins one time. A long time, Garcia. And, uh, oh, David Grisman. Yep, right. Gris, yeah, Grisman Garcia, and which was a great. I might get, re-get that, but um, that's a great record. Yeah, <clears throat> but like he, so like I'm sure he's the go-to guy. Hey, we need mandolins. Call him. Like, what was your thing that everyone was like? Oh, we need Mark for well, this. I, I'm a song guy because I've played a million songs. I've written a lot of songs. So when I, I'm confronted with a song, I usually think in terms of what's a good part that I could play on the guitar for the song. Plus, I'm I'm a good reader, so if somebody put some sheet, piece of sheet music in front of me, I can read it. Yeah. And that's not so required in the, in the pop music field. You know, a lot of times you're just going to hear, somebody's going to play a tape of a song, their demo. Yeah. And then you just kind of figure out what you're going to play. And sometimes they've already written the parts, so you just have to decipher what it is they want. And I come up with some cool parts and sometimes and good sounds and I'm pleasant to be around. And that's, that, that's, that is, that is big. That the, is huge. That yeah, is the I only reason I'm working today. 
I really think is that I'm fun to be around. I don't know about yeah, the only reason, but it uh, is a contributing factor. Yeah, right? I mean, there's lots of great musicians, for example, who you know you couldn't imagine spending two weeks on a bus with. Right. You yeah. Know? But you know, so that's part of like if you're a mini touring musician. Right. That's part of the package is your ability to like get along. Know, get along. I'm definitely don't someone worry. you'd want to spend two weeks on a bus with. Well, Absolutely. I bet I could be in a band just playing tambourine. I bet there are bands that would just take me just to play tambourine. They're Absolutely. like, look, we don't even we don't even have his mics on, but he's funny shit on the bus. <laughs> so okay, so uh, I, I still want to talk about uh, uh, people you worked with a little bit, only because it's. I mean, the list is. But I also want to know how you write a song. So I, I had the hardest time writing music, like writing a song. Wow. The the thing about writing songs is is it's like you just have to get up every day and make a giant pot of coffee and sit there with your guitar and a legal pad and a piece of paper and just do it every single day until a song comes out. Then it's a crap song. It's guaranteed. You're going to write a thousand crap songs and then maybe you'll write a good one. And then you just keep doing it, you know, until you kind of just, the averages outweigh, you know, you get more. I might might start waking up to write crap songs just to play them because I bet my crap songs would be really funny. Like, just like, laces on shoes, laces on shoes, (laughs) they're bad news. (laughs) Just laces on shoes. shoes. There you go, that's a song. (laughs) Copyright, (laughs) 2014. What's your favorite song you've ever written? Oh, wow. Well, well, let's go. Let's do this. Okay. Uh, most con- commercial successful song you've ever written, your favorite song you've ri- ever written, and the song you wish you'd never written. Um, okay. The most biggest song I've ha- I had two really big songs. I had a uh, I wrote the music for a song called Automatic that the Pointer Sisters did. Right. And my buddy wrote the lyrics. <laughs> that is, by the way, that is. We played that last night, and I was like, "Are you shitting me?" That song defines the 80s. When I hear that song, I think of parachute pants, Eddie Murphy, lines carved in your hair. That's right. I think of Beverly Hills. I think of how much fun it must have been when you wrote that song to hear it in the club and be like, oh, this is, I couldn't have enough zippers on this jacket. I'm in my apartment with wife number one. For everyone, um, can can we... 1970. Okay. Can you sing a little bit of that song for anyone that's going, wait, wait, wait. Totally automatic. Did it, did it. I, I can play the riff. You know, oh, can you, can you? Sure. Oh, shit, yeah. Leanne, do you want to sing? No, <laughs> I don't think anybody Insane. All right. So, so wait, you wrote that on the guitar? No. Okay. I, I did not. I wrote this song. I thought I was writing a Depeche Mode song. That's where I was at. Okay, I, was I like, can see well, that. So 80s. Yeah. You know, I was in my apartment wearing like a LeMay suit. With, oh my God. With, with, with uh, wife number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with wife number one wearing Doc Martens, you know. And I had gotten, what did I do? Oh, I had actually made some money before that writing i wrote a couple songs for linda ronstadt on an album called mad love so that was like around 1980 yeah so i took all the money that i made uh until the irs caught me and bought synthesizers and i started i bought a drum machine and a synthesizer and i was like totally into this 80s like synth rock thing right yeah so i wrote this this the, the music for automatic on like a a roland juno 60 and a roland drum machine and it was like 
you know, it was like very, you know, yeah. robotic. And then uh, I had, at the time I was signed to, uh, it was MCA music at the time, you know, it, which is later Universal. But at the time I was signed as a staff writer. So they said, hey, you should get together with this guy, Brock Walsh. He's really good. And I knew Brock because we had. Uh, what a great 80s name, by the way. Walsh, Brock. He was uh, a good friend of Andrew Gold's. And Andrew and I knew each other. It was, you know, L.A. in the early 80s was a hotbed of just the worst. Debauchery, I can't imagine. But anyway, so uh, Brock came over, and I played him this, like, demo on a... I did it, of course. I, at the time, I did all my demos on a something called a Porta Studio, which was like a cassette. It was like a regular old audio cassette, but they turned it into a four-track recorder. So, like, you could record your demos on it. And it was like, yeah. you know, everything would come out sounding like... Distortion and noise. Yeah. So I played him the track. He says, "Great, I'll write." You know, and he started writing this lyric, and all of a sudden, we had this song, right? So we we went into the studios at MCA and made a proper demo of it, and then we had a song. You know, the people at MCA said, "Oh, you know what? The Pointer Sisters are looking for songs, and Richard Perry's producing it." So basically, they took the demo of that over there, and you know, the next thing I know, they'd cut it, wow. and I went. And they basically used our demo. I think they transferred some of the stuff over from the uh, demo that we had made. And they did it in the same key. June Pointer sang it in the same key that Brock sang it. So it's kind of low. When you listen to her record, Mm -hmm. she's singing, you know, no way to control. Yeah. She's like way in the basement. It sounds great. It was classic. Anyone who's 40 remembers that song distinctly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that that was a big deal. So you write that and like... I guess it's probably okay to ask now, but like, how much money do you get when you write a song like that? We're considering it's the '80s. Like, 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 people always wonder, like, when you're a stand-up, like, what's the big payday? And and they're always shocked when you say, you know, he made two thousand dollars for five shows for the weekend, and they're like, what? We we think they make. By the way, that's not now. That's not now. Of course not. (laughs) Jesus, Leanne. But but it was that way. Yeah, yeah. People were. Yeah. And they're like, he's this big stand-up, and he's on TV, but. At the end of the day, the check is two thousand dollars. There's a that's that's yeah. most comics live in the two thousand dollar range, but for a very long time, the majority of comics lives in the seven hundred dollar range. That's right. right, a weekend. A weekend. Okay. Oh, for a weekend. For, for a weekend. weekend of work. Do they throw in the meal of free buffet? You can eat at the club. You got it. You definitely got a tip. You can usually most clubs if they're cool, you get free drinks. They'll put you up in a condo. But they no will not fly you out. No, no transportation. transportation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you're playing, much like a musician. It, yeah. Singer. Yeah. And you don't have to split it in four, but right. uh, so like going when solo is a good idea. Yeah. Oh. So when you go, so when you when you write automatic, do they? Are you in a deal? So they just is that part of the deal, or do they cut you a check? Do you get royalties? I get royalties. What happens is like at the time I was signed as a staff writer, so they had given me a certain amount of money on a yearly basis for like three years or something. I had signed a three-year deal and they gave me a certain amount of money every year as an advance towards whatever I would make, right? So I would... Uh, and they would own the publishing and I would get the writer's share. So so I was basically when Automatic hit, I was just paying... I paid. I was paying back the money that... That you were already getting. getting. So I lived on it, a lot of it. But then, then there's also what they call performance royalties. When they play your song on the radio, there's a... You get... Every time they play a song of yours on the radio that you wrote, you get a royalty 
for through a performance collection agency. NASCAP or ASCAP? NASCAP or BMI. I'm with BMI. So every time a song of mine gets played on the radio, it generates a penny. Yeah, we get you know? it too yeah, for just, his stand-up. Yeah, anything that – yeah, it's the same thing. We do? Right? Yeah, yeah, it's through a company called Sound Exchange. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. They they listen to everything. In right, because you wrote the comedy. It's a joke you wrote. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. I don't perform anyone else's material. <laughs> it's all mine. Right. So, so, uh, so that must have been like – So it was good. I got to say it was good because I got – you know, I got some big checks. I, I wrote a song for Natalie Imbruglia that was on that big record that she had, the huge record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had I had a I had a song that was on that record that was a single. It was the second single after Torn. Mm-hmm. It went to number one in England for like three days. Wow! It really? Up and down. It was like <laughs> they were so. I think by the time that they released any other songs, they were pretty much sick of Natalie and Brulia. But she like that song Torn was like went on forever Huge, and yeah. ever and ever and yeah. ever. And I just I had two songs that I wrote and pr- produced on that record, so. I, I got a pretty good paycheck from that. It paid That's, for my garage. Have you seen my garage? No, I have not. You it's said nice. to me. It's a nice garage. It's, it's pretty a, awesome. Natalie and Julia basically paid for my garage. That's, thank you, Natalie. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. <laughs> my the, daughter thanks you. She sleeps over in that garage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. The six weird? degrees of separation of it's like weird. if I ever bump into Natalie and Bruley, I go, "Hey, thank you, Natalie." Yeah, thank you. My daughter thanks you. So what's what's the what's the best song you've ever written? The best. Song. Like the song you're like. Hands that like like uh, I would say the best joke I've ever written is probably um, my favorite one was is a carrot cucumber joke. My best story is probably the machine story, obviously, but like but like my best joke. But now, but I've played this tell that joke so much, I have a hard time telling it now. Not the machine story, but the carrot cucumber. Like, what's your best joke? My best. No, I'm song, sorry. I'm sorry. It's my best joke they, is yeah. a waiter walks up to God. a Jewish couple in a restaurant and goes, "Is anything all right?" <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> my best song is. Uh, I think Better my best mine. song, the song that I and I don't ask me to sing it because I can't sing it because I'm it's 30, 40 years old. It was called Justine, and I wrote it. And in <sighs> Linda Ronstadt recorded it in nineteen seventy nine. And I had this band called the Cretones, the unfortunately yeah. named Cretones. No, we listened to the Cretones last night, and Leanne liked it. She was like, I, "She was like, I dig it." Why was I so angry? That's the question I ask myself when I hear myself sing. It's like, <laughs> well, well, why was I so angry? <laughs> what did I, I do? I didn't hear Who you. Who was I angry. mad at? Um, but uh, yeah, I wrote a song for her called Justine, which I had written after reading a bunch of Lawrence Durrell novels. So I was feeling really effete and you know, like smoking opium and. <laughs> you know, wearing a caftan, and I wrote this song. And it was actually, I think, my the best song I wrote. It's a really good song, and it's uh, I'm proud of that one because I think she she sang it and made it even better than it was. So. Yeah, she's yeah. pretty incredible. What was she like to listen to? Oh, Linda was fantastic. Linda, when I met Linda, she okay. I was I had this band right called the Cretones, and we were a skinny tie band, and we were you know this is like 1979. We were uh, you know, kind of a power pop band, and we because let's see, uh, we had gotten signed to Richard Perry's label. We were playing, we played playing clubs in LA all the time, and we we hadn't like made a record yet, right? Um, but we were kind of playing every week and kind of doing okay. We had started out by playing a sandwich place in near USC called Mike's Munchies. We played there every Friday night for almost a year. So the band got really tight, got pretty good. Yeah. And I'd written a whole bunch of songs. Um, and uh, our bass player's girlfriend 
was Linda Ronstadt's dog walker. How crazy. Okay. So she took a cassette that, that he had of our band. We didn't even know she did it. She took a cassette of some of our demos and played it for Linda, right? So we were playing at the Starwood one night, and uh, she, Linda comes backstage. We didn't know she was there. She's, like, wearing a babushka and, like, Lolita sunglasses. And, Shut like, up. like, totally... Uh, that's I'm just I can't I'm trying to think of the equivalent like Dave Chappelle walked in that's like Dave Chappelle walking into the green room in Dayton the other day like a couple weeks ago or whatever and you're just like holy shit like it's, it's like seeing a great white shark yeah exactly you, and it was better to to have her come after we played because if I'd known that she was there while we were playing I would have shit the bed for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would not be so great so uh, um, yeah so Linda comes she she goes I heard your tape I want to record three of your songs for my album i'm like yeah right but she did she and she got me to play in the band uh on the record on on a lot of that record i was in the band it was the first time i'd ever you know that was like a pretty big step huge yes huge i mean before that i i'd played i'd toured with uh al stewart who was a singer he had his hit called you're the cat that was like my first 1975 right that was the first tour i did really how old are you uh, how much now? No, no, no. Then uh, I was uh, maybe twenty three. Oh yeah. shit! Going on tour at twenty three. I didn't start touring until I had kids. That's the worst part about it is I never got to do the like twenty three. Just if I could remember it, <laughs> I think it would be fucking great. I know I had a good time. They told me that. Were you imbibing at all? Or? Oh no, me never. <laughs> Wait, what was your what was your go to? Like mine's like I'm always a beer dude. Like I, like when I'm on tour, it's weird. I, I was thinking of this last night when I was thinking about talking today. It's weird because when you're on tour, you become the superhero you believed you would be a little bit. You get to live this different life. Yeah, it's totally no family reality. Not reality at all. Nothing counts. I mean, you stay on your diet if you can. Maybe you work out a little bit, but it, like I never do shots. But I'm on the road. I do shots. You live this like alter ego life. What was your go to uh, libe- like your treat? My treat was uh, I was kind of an herbalist. Oh yeah, to say yeah. that yeah. was my thing. You know yeah. And then there was a dalliance with the Peruvian marching powder. What is that? Uh, I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you about it later. Oh, yeah. 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 Hey. Got it, got it, got it. Enough about me. What do you think about me? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, please don't. Edit this part out before my wife hears it. Although she knows. Yeah. She no, she said she said something to us today. She's like, he's not gonna tell you the like you gotta you gotta drag out the good stories. He doesn't talk about himself a lot. And I was like, Oh, i I talk about all I do is talk about me. We'll be fine. But so um Well wait, I have to I'm the library aide today in Mr. Lample's classroom and I have to scoot. Okay. okay. So I will right. like, but I love I'm, you. I'm kind of Is there upset, any question you wanna it. ask? Can I tell you that before I want you to be here for this one question is my favorite question because I have an answer for it. What song do you want played at your funeral? Whoa. Considering you're a music guy. Wow. That's a good one. Mine is Changes by Blind Melon. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Um, I'll let you think about it, Leanne. I don't think about that one. What song do you want played at your funeral, Leanne? 
Um, I think that's my, my phone. Is it you? Um, oh. Yeah. What song do you want played at your funeral, Leon? Uh, hey Jude. Hey Jude, that's pretty good. That's you know why? Special. That was a lullaby. That's what I sang to my children. Oh, nice. I didn't want to sing a lullaby. I wanted to sing a song that they could hear on the radio when they were in college or when they're grown up or when I was dead. So nice. I chose a song. Oh, interesting. So that every time they heard that song, they would think about our relationship. My mom used to sing, What Do We Do With a Drunken Sailor? To me. <laughs> so I think that would be the song for me. Well, what do we do with a drunken sailor? Why would she sing to, that to me? There's so a lullaby. Funny. I yeah. used to sing, uh, Well, my bucket's got a hole in it. That's a good one. Yeah. I can't buy no beer. God, I, I wish I had, I wish I had thought of my question. My... Go do the library. All right, I'm see, sorry. babe. That's okay. Okay, so, um, so uh, here are the questions that I thought last night. Uh, wait, you play with Honey Honey? No, I didn't. Uh, did you? They were on your list. Honey Honey? Yeah, it's a, it's a band that my buddy is a big fan of. I did? Yeah, I think you did. Wait, okay. Maybe you played did all... You get, did you get it off of All Music Guide? Yeah. Uh, sometimes there, there are some times there are on, uh, on some odd things. Like they said I played in, on Frampton's Camel in 1972, but I played with Peter Frampton in 82. What's, what's Peter Frampton like? Oh, man. He's the nicest guy. Peter Frampton is like the greatest guy you don't yeah. want to know. He's funny. He's he, he just lives to play guitar, play rock and roll. He's living the dream in that he's doing what he really loves to do and he does, you know, he doesn't have any air anymore, who cares, right? He yeah. just, he's out there playing. He's playing better than he's ever played. He's just a great guy. In fact, I was doing a solo gig in LA last year or something and I I was playing a Genghis Cohen down in Hollywood, and I was just doing like my solo acoustic guitar thing, you know, a man on a chair, sitting on a chair, playing solo guitar with no singing. I see this guy looks like Peter walking around. And I go, Peter, what the hell are you doing here? And he goes, I can't see you. I'm like, what? Shut up. But, uh, yeah, we, you know, I played with him for a few years, or two, two solid years, two and a half, and we're still friends. We still, you know, when he's in town, he gives me a shot. We, we go out to lunch every now and then. He's the greatest, greatest guy killer guitar player i learned a lot about playing guitar in front of people from him because he's a great showman he knows you know it's like it's easy to play a lot of notes on the guitar you know yeah. it really is it's like you can play a lot of fast notes and it's but he knows how to play like in a big room when there's a lot of people there you don't he knows how to hold back he knows how to he really knows how to work an audience you know really kind of like hugh does i mean hugh R- right now you're on tour with hugh, hugh, hugh lowry Lowry right now he's He's not a piano. He's a piano player, not a guitar player, and he's more he, for him. He's more of a song guy. He's like we're doing songs every night. You know, it's not so much about the instrumental stuff. But he knows how to work an audience. He really knows how to put together a show. And I'm, as you can learn a lot working with guys who know what they're doing. Yeah, it's That's what the, I'm saying. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Who's the most fun to write with? Uh, wow, I, I, Peter and I had a lot of fun writing. Really, we had a good time writing. I think. If I remember correctly. Uh, I actually have good times when I write with most people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've written a bunch of stuff with Peter Cetera from Chicago. We always had fun. Peter Cetera from Chicago is a great band that I, yes. that I rediscovered in college. Like, I, I really discovered them. I'll say I discovered them because I, like, I, I was, I remembered a song from when I was a kid and I was like, what's that song? And I got the album and I listened to it all the time. And me and my buddies were like, man, Chicago's a great band. They were like a killer, like they, they started out as a band that like really played, like they had guys in the band 
they're kind of like a jazz band in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then they later turned into a, like a pop rock band and then got really pop. But they were great when they first started out when they were CTA. That was a hell of a band. They could really play. And I knew, I met Peter because I knew... Uh, Cetera or Frampton? Peter Cetera. Yeah, Cetera. Uh, I worked with Peter. Uh, I met Peter through this guy that managed me when I was in Chicago who had been in a band... The slightly older guy who had been in a band in Chicago, so he knew those guys, and you know he tr- trotted me around to meet Peter. And then I think uh, I worked with Peter after I had done Automatic and and a couple other things. So at that point, it, you know, I he knew I was a songwriter. But we had a really good time. You know, Peter's just a sweet guy and plays great accordion. Really? Yeah. And it's really funny, you know, when like I even now, like whenever you know you can work with somebody who's like well known and they're in your studio with you and they start singing. I get that feeling. Oh man, that's Peter Cetera singing. He's like, oh yeah, to me singing. He's got that voice, you know, that Peter Cetera voice. I went, oh my god, he sounds just like Peter Cetera. Yeah. No. No. Now, um, do you do you? What, when was the first time, like, we, as a band? How does the, something that drives me nuts about when I go see shows is now encores seem to be a part of the show. Yeah. Like, it's like now it's like you're gonna do your twelve songs, and then all of a sudden, you know, the encore is planned. Yeah. And you're like you're like well he hasn't played that I guess we're doing an encore so it's, you're almost like like okay we get like I saw Beck one time that was the only guy I saw it didn't he didn't do an encore he just played the shit out of like thirty five minutes like forty minutes and then right. bounced and I was like whoa that was intense it's kind of like it's become the ritual you know yeah. you go to see a concert you know you're gonna hear twelve songs they're gonna go off stage they're gonna pretend that they you know they're gonna wait yeah but it if if you're working, for example, like Hugh, right? He does a great show, and by the time we go off stage, the audience is they're they're freaking, you know, they're yeah. like ready for an encore. So it's it, maybe it is, you know, in a way you're going, well, we're going to earn an encore. But we go off stage, and every night he goes, are we going to go back? You know, he, oh, okay, yeah, because I guess kind of like I guess the encore's earned. You got to earn the encore. Yeah, you know, if if you if you come back and nobody's clapping. That's not so good. Man, maybe I'll start doing the machine story as an encore. Like I'll do 45 minutes and then go off. If they if they if they if I've earned it. Yeah, that's a good that's idea. The greatest hit. Yeah. So to speak. Right. You do the Well, some people it's weird. Some people do the greatest hit in the set. Some people, now I saw who did I see that did this? Oh, Wang Chung. <laughs> they played everybody Wang Chung tonight as their first song. Then as their last song, and as their encore, like they just kept playing it. <laughs> I guess if you've only got that's your song, that's yeah. your song. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's uh, what what incorporates your like? Is there anything you put in a rider like when you go on tour that you're like, guys, I'd really love to have this in the green room. Well, I tried to, you know, I don't personally usually get a rider, but uh, yeah. but when I do, I try to get like you know whole wheat turkey pinwheels, but uh, whole wheat turkey pinwheels. <laughs> Because I know I'll never get that. You know. I mean, you're in Iowa City. Yeah. Where are you going to get a whole wheat turkey pinwheel? Like, whole wheat turkey pinwheels. I'm going to start putting that in my rider. I my I don't have a rider per se. Some people do. Like Eddie, one, there's a comedian who gets fresh sneakers every show. Oh it's yeah. Brand new sneakers every single show. Fantastic. Yeah. I, when I worked with Chris Isaac, we got fresh underwear. It was on his rider. Are you serious? Yeah, serious. Wait, what other stuff have you heard, seen on riders that you were like, shut up? Like, oh, okay, what's check in, this out. Okay, keep going. Okay, so we got like, I get in Chris Isaac's band, mainly because I fit in the suit from the guy who left the band. 
I think more than anything else. He's the right size. Get him. Um, 42 and, wide? Yeah, yeah. 42 long. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I get in the band, and then, like, we're at the gig, first gig, and he's got this he's got this lady who does makeup. She didn't make up it. She was, like, the costume. We had, like, to wear suits. So we yeah. had, like, three suits that we wore, and they had to be, you know, steam-pressed every show. And they had a buffet of hair products and colognes that were vintage yeah. from the 60s. I mean, it was, like, really a time warp. Great guy, Chris. Funny, funny guy. Good-looking dude, too. Handsome. That, Handsome that, that, I remember that song he did with, I think, Cindy Crawford, the video, and it was just was like, whoa. Yeah, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah. He's still a good-looking guy. Um. We, so I get on the, so I'm in the dressing room and I see all this stuff. I'm going, okay, this is cool. Hair products, you know. Okay, I could deal with hair products. Cologne, some high karate, you know, English <laughs> leather. I mean, it was all there. All that stuff, like, you know, I'd seen when I was a kid. It's like all there. And I, I guess, you know, if you if you want to find stuff like that, it's out there. Right? Yeah. Like eBay, you know, vintage cologne. And then there was like this stack of jockey underwear. And then before I'd gotten on the tour, you know, they they'd gotten all my sizes. Yeah. But I didn't put two and two together until I saw a size, you know, my size of white men's underwear. And, of course, you know, I'm just saying after a certain age, a man does not wear white underwear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't wear underwear at all. Yeah. I really. stopped in college. But, you know, so that's, I got to say, the most unique thing I've seen as a, on, a, on a rider. You know, like most people... It's usually the same stuff. You get a deli tray. There's beer, wine, whatever in the uh, dressing room. You know, some people have beverage requirements. Like you, you know, we want a good red wine. We want, you know, Jackson Brown is a red wine drinker. I'm imagining. Yeah, I think actually he is a red wine wine drinker. You know, so but you know, he's also going to require that you get a, a decent. You know, you can't come in with a box wine. Yeah, Jackson Brown doesn't drink box wine, <laughs> or maybe he does. I don't know, but. You can't, you know, you, there's a certain, you know, protocol, per, pecking order yeah. for the riders. But, you know, there's catering, stuff like that. But yeah, usually on the rider, it's just it's just typical stuff in the dressing room. Yeah. If cl- clubs that know me will put a six-pack of Heineken on ice. Right. But um, if you had to be on tour with one band for the rest of your career, who would it be? Well, right now I'm playing with Hugh Laurie. Now, I can't imagine a f- more fun band. I know. That seems like – it seems like everyone – like you were t- – you were. Uh, maybe Margaret was telling me about it. And it seems like a bunch of people that really appreciate it and, and enjoy it and are selling out and are make everyone's making money and are doing what they love to do. It sounds like – It's got everything. I mean, Hugh is playing classic American music. Like- Hugh Laurie, for those of you who don't know, is the guy on Bones. House. Oh, house. I'm sorry. He's not a house. Yeah, and he doesn't limp, and he's English. Yeah, <laughs> and he's a super badass singer and piano player. In the, he is strongly influenced by American piano music, like Doctor John, uh, Professor Longhair, like really like the early blues and and rhythm and blues and and jazz. He's into it, and he loves it like it's his passion, you know? Yeah. So he's out there doing this music because he doesn't really – we're not doing any originals. We're just doing old songs that he's uh, uh, discovered. And um, But he's, his enthusiasm for this old stuff is – it's catching. And he's out there. It's not like a crusade. Like, you know, we're playing the Kremlin, and I'm sitting there. We're playing Ico Ico, which is a classic – Dixie Cups, New Orleans song yeah. for like 3,000 Russians. And they're like all nodding their head going, da, da, I go, I go. You're it. literally touring the world. We're touring the world. He's, uh, Hughes, 
probably the least popular market is the U.S. Really? Yeah, we played like in in we. I just did three months with him in Europe. Uh, we played three thousand seaters, pretty much sold out everywhere. That's insane. And and he could probably just play Europe for the rest of his life. I mean, this is like there's what a great people go see him. What a great life you're a sitcom or a, a tv show star you don't really need money you still get you get to do what you love to do you're selling out you're still like what he really scored he totally scored i mean he's doing he loves doing it yeah I mean, you know, we're, and you know i'm happy to be there with him it's, it's great music it's like you know he comes in with songs and i go wow i play this song i know this song it's a great song and if he has a good ear for songs it's good ear for he's got a good ear for what people are good at yeah you know like he like, I became the guy. I'm like the utility guy. You know, I'm a guitar player, but I also play keyboards. And so in this band, I play a lot of organ. I play guitar. I play slide guitar. I play banjo, mandolin. Kind Jesus. of whatever is required, I can kind of get in there. And uh, uh, he's got another guy who does woodwinds, uh, winds, and harmonica. We've got a trombone player. We've got a bass, bass and drums and two singers. So we've got a big band that's capable of, like, on a dime, you know, just shifting gears and sounding completely different. A bunch of utility players who know how to do everything. And everybody in the band, everybody who's played in this band, except for, there's a couple young people, some of you got to have some young people. Yeah. You know, who, uh, you got to hear the stories the next morning of what happened. (laughs) Most of the young people on this tour are like either busy tweeting. Oh, yeah. Or, or do you have a Twitter? What? Do you have a Twitter? I do, but I'm not, I'm not so good at it. Give it out and everyone will tweet you. Oh, uh, it's Mark Goldenberg 5. Mark Goldenberg 5. <laughs> I can guarantee you Mark Goldenberg probably works at a tech company in Silicon Valley. <laughs> There's a Mark Goldenberg in Beverly Hills who's a pediatric dentist. Really? Yeah, he gets calls from me. And occasionally I go out and I'll, you know, I'll take somebody's teeth out. <laughs> okay, I want to talk to you about your uh, acoustic solo album. I want you to play, but I cannot I, – I'm not doing your career respect without bringing up – uh, so what we'll do is all the people you worked with. So what I'll do is I'll say a name, and you just give me one word that when I say their name, the first word that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. We did. Okay. The Pointer Sisters. Uh, lovely. Okay. Lyle Lovett. Uh, good hair. <laughs> Chris Isaac. Better hair. <laughs> Brian Wilson. Uh, not much hair. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Brian Wilson, I, I got it. It's got to go for more than a word. Okay. Okay. Brian Wilson is a classic, and I've just recently worked with Brian Wilson. But when I first worked with him, he there were two guitar players on the session, and he couldn't remember our names to save our lives. And we kept it was me and another guy named Michael, and we kept just every time he talked to us, we would go, "No, I'm Mark. That's Michael." And he'd like go, "Okay, guitar, can you do this?" Yeah. You call us guitar, right? But by the end of the first day, he'd gotten remembered our names, right? Yeah. Uh, and that was pretty good. I left the session. He said, bye, Mark. See you tomorrow. And I come in the next day, and he's sitting at the console, and he looks at me and goes, hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm changing my name to buddy. Great guy. Yeah. Wilson. Olivia Newton-John. Hot. Wait, when, when did you work with her? I wrote a song called Soul Kiss. So yeah. It was in the 80s. Oh, my God. It was like the album that she did that Helmut Newton had done the photo yeah. of her, where she's kind of like wearing like riding pants and holding a crop to, with her oh back to the camera. And she was hot. Yeah. 
Isn't Olivia Newton-John? Oh my God! Uh, Mary Kay Place. Mary Kay Place. Mary Kay Place. For these those of you who don't know, I sat on a plane next to her one time. She was the. She was a very. She was in soap or. I don't remember, but she was. Uh, she, she's an actress, right? Yeah, she's an actress, a comedian. Yeah, sometimes an actress. Uh, I, the word that comes to mind is a heck of a hawk, is what she said to me once. What is what's that mean? Well, we, I was invited to a party at uh, one of the Eagles' houses, and there was a barbecue, and they had like a giant vat of pea soup. And I got, I like labeled out some pea soup, and I had a piece of a ham hock in my bowl. And she looked at me, and she looked up, she looked at my bowl, and she looked at me, and she said, "That's a heck of a hawk." Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Uh, it was what she was saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. She That's a heck of a hawk. Heck of a hawk. <laughs> I thought there was going to be something else. <laughs> That's one heck of a hawk. Um, Roy Orbison. Uh, dead. <laughs> I recorded with Roy Orbison after he died. Oh. <laughs> Shut up. He. Um, no, it's true. Uh, I worked for his producer a lot. I worked for this guy. His name's Don Was. He made the yeah. main records. And that's one of the reasons I've worked with all these people is that I I was part of Don's recording team. I yeah. do a lot of sessions for him for, for like through the 90s. It was a big uh, – we did a lot of records together. They had found a song that Roy had recorded in his kitchen yeah. by himself with an acoustic guitar. And somebody's <laughs> idea was – well, we'll put a band behind it, and we'll release it. Yeah. So it ended up on one of his like you know posthumous releases. But like literally, you hear a guy sitting at his kitchen table with the sound of the kitchen. It's really not very pleasant. Yeah, and then they put a band around it. It's an, it's not a bad I, on paper. It. it sounds good to me. It was hard because yeah. I mean his his time like his playing in time factor was pretty good. So yeah. it was was okay but it was kind of hard to play with somebody who's not there you know? yeah i mean you know there was it wasn't cut to a click or anything it was int- it, actually the sound of the recording in his kitchen was kind of the heart that made it hard because you it was a little hard to hear what he was doing so okay but he was dead um yeah so he had nothing but nice things to say about what i did I, I, <laughs> um let's see uh carly simon carly simon i worked on a christmas record really for her did you get to hang out with her? Yeah. I think she's so attractive. She was very nice. She was nice. It was a very pleasant experience. Is it, we recorded is, it in a hotel room in Beverly Hills. Really? Yeah, they they basically they took over two hotel rooms and took all the furniture out. See, I love that. Recording studio. I love that. I love the like when I read about when I was in college, I got into Red Hot Chili Peppers and I read that they took over a house and made an album in an old house and with uh, Rick Rubin. And uh, and I was like, that's the dream. Like, well, of course, you know, you don't ha- you can just record whenever you want. Yeah, you know, you can wa- work in your underwear, which I advise. <laughs> and uh, you know, you can, uh, you know, any place can be a recording environment. Some probably sound better than others, but you know, you stick a mic in front of somebody singing in a, in a hotel room. Yeah, it's probably gonna sound okay if you got a good engineer, right? Yeah, it sounds fine in here. Yeah, it sounds great. This would be a great room to record anything. This, I thought I said we're gonna sell this house to a divorced. A uh, music producer f- dad, so he can he has a room for his kid. He can come back to the man cave and work, and he's in a good district, a good school Perfect. area. This would make a great recording studio. This room back here, yeah, it would, yeah. wouldn't it? It's all you can't see, it, but it's all wood. They've got a nice TV, flat screen TV, which is important for working, and the high ceiling, which makes it nice. Oh, really? The drums would sound good in here. 
Now, um, okay, is there anyone... Let's see if I have any... Is there anyone... I don't know what that was. Is there anyone that I brought up that you worked with that of note that you're like, oh, you know what? I also worked... Oh, wait, wait what's uh, Jackson Brown like? Oh, Jackson's great. Yeah? He's very... You toured with Jackson for like 15 years, right? Yeah, I was... I, I toured like... I think I, I ended in 2010, and I started around 94, I believe. Good Jeez. God. It wasn't like a straight through. I mean, we worked. It was, I would say, 90% of that. Yes, I was working with Jackson. But there, he did some tours without the band. Yeah. He did some other things. You know, he, you know, Pete, but, Pete um, I was on my podcast a long time ago. Pete uh, Corielli is a comedian. And Pete Corielli was obsessed with Jackson Brown. Uh-huh. And he was and he, he was like, bro, 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 you have no idea. They do the loadout. I mean, it's. I'm telling you, bro. And so one night... Only because you, I will I, I I never I never tell old partying stories too much. But one night we were on tour. There may have been uh, some party favors involved, and it may have been around a fireplace, Dallas mushrooms. Who knows? This is a long time ago, and Pete was telling me at length, at length, only the way one of those nights can go at a fire pit. With he had his iPad, his iPhone playing music Jackson Brown all fucking night, and and I fell in love with Jackson Brown because of that. Well, you gotta admit that Jackson Brown is probably one of the great American songwriters. Yes, you know he has written. He's a heavy songwriter. He doesn't write. You know, the I mean, Pretender. Written, what the Pretender? What the Pretender? He wrote uh, uh, Running on Empty. I mean, yeah. he wrote like songs that are. If you uh, listen to the Loadout, it. It, it, it gets you like kind of like warm inside because he's singing it to the crew, who's all sitting there waiting to finish their job for the night. Yeah, absolutely. And then and then, just stay. Which he didn't write. Oh uh, yeah, but but I like that that it's comes in right after that. So um okay so now uh is there anyone that you played with that you of note that I, I interrupted you? I apologize. Uh, uh Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. I played on some Willie Nelson stuff. Well, I played with the Highwaymen. I played a record. With the Highwaymen, so, and then I we did some spinoff stuff. I know I worked on some stuff for Willie. Actually, I'm playing the Grammys with Willie, and Merle Haggard and Chris Christopherson. Are, I'm going to be in the backup band for that. Are you serious? We're doing one song. We're doing three songs in four minutes, or really like that. We're doing a, it's a big medley. Wow. Um, but it's undetermined whether I'm going to be like the acoustic guy or, the, or an electric guitar guy. There's like a big the heart of big band, so. It, who knows what that's going to be? So that's fun. Sweet. So did you? And the Highwaymen was Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, and Chris Christopherson. What's Chris Christopherson like? Really nice. Really, I worked on a record. His la- most recent record, I worked on. Uh, he was super nice guy. He's a real easygoing guy. You know, he's, he's like a family guy. You know, he loves his he's got a beautiful wife. And he's got grown kids, and he's you know he's like one of those. Key. He's one of those real men, like Burt Reynolds, or he's like a real man. Like those guys that I look at and I go, oh, that must have been nice. You know, His just, dad gave him a gun at some point. You know, like, well, yeah. like my dad never gave me a gun. You know, when I was, you know, I was writing songs, but I was also, you know, a helicopter pilot. And yeah. yeah, he's you know, a guy. Right? He's someone who doesn't ask where his hammer is. Ask his wife where his, where the hammer is. Yeah, he's, but the thing about Chris is like he's that guy. He's the the helicopter driving, oil rigging guy with who's also a Rhodes Scholar. Really? Yeah. I mean, his songwriting. Like he's not like a, he's just musically. It's his stuff is pretty straightforward, right? It's not. 
it's kind of simple, you know. He's like a folk singer, but like yeah. his lyrics are really good. He knows how to write a song. I get, I get into, I get into last night especially. I got into just going through, and I, what I would do is it started with Jackson Brown. It usually starts with Jackson Brown, and then I whatever video is recommended with the most amount of views. Yeah, and then it ended up me googling black fraternities branding each other. That's cool. Um, uh, you know, that's a you go down that YouTube road. It's a long night. Oh and it God! Takes you weird places. So, so you're you have an album out now? I did an, an acoustic. album of acoustic guitar, solo guitar pieces. I in I studied during. Let's see, this must be during the nineties, starting maybe eighty eight, eighty nine. I started studying guitar with a guy in town named Ted Green. Yeah, who was like everybody studied with Ted Green. He was like the guy. You know, he was. He's an incredible was an incredible guitar player with an unbelievable knowledge of harmony. Like he was, he was like, he was like the old man in the mountain. You know, that you'd like scale up to see the guy, and he'd give you the meaning in life, and send you away with a lesson that you could work on for a year. I mean, he was just he was like a Mozart. Really. Yeah. he was really. You know, I think he was on the spectrum, as they say. Yeah, but he was he was a true genius musically. And uh, by the way, by the way, in that Google, in the the YouTube search last night, uh, Daryl Hannah has uh, Asperger's. Apparently, <laughs> found that found that in the Google searches last night. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I Not, met Daryl because uh, through Jackson. Yeah, they were together. She was very nice. Yeah, she's hot, uh, hot. Yeah, um, hot. Uh, <laughs> what were we talking? About? You were talking about you were studying with the guy yeah, who's Ted on this, but yeah, this guy Ted Green, like. Anybody who was a guitar player in L.A. eventually would go have to go see Ted for something. You know, I studied yeah. with him for a long time. I really got into harmony, you know, just like chords and all this kind of finger style stuff. So, um, as in, so at the, in about 95, I thought, man, nah, I'm going to do a record. I'll write some tunes, you know. And then we just, uh, just had Gabriella, my daughter. Yeah. And uh, so I decided, you know... Uh, I was just, you know, I'd go to the studio, like, when she was sleeping. I'd go in the morning and, you know, because when you have a kid and they're, like, six months old, you get every disease known to man because you're never getting yeah. sleep. So, so I recorded a record of, of solo guitar pieces, and I didn't really listen to what I'd recorded. I just recorded it, and then I'd say, I'll come back and edit later. And then I put up the, the files, and all of a sudden I was thinking to myself, oh, who's snoring? It was me, and I was like, I had such a bad cold, yeah, that I my my snoring was my breathing was louder than the guitar player. Yeah, so I had to scrap the album. So I I'll go back. I said, okay, I'm going to record this album again. I'm going to hold my breath <laughs> while I'm recording because yeah. I still had this cold. Every starts with a okay. Oh, I edited that out. <sighs> but you know, I could I had to do that because I couldn't ever shake the cold that I got for like months, and then. Halfway through that record, not only do I have a cold, I get pink eye. Yeah. So now I'm sitting there recording guitar with like my eyes glued shut, can't breathe. It was a wonderful experience. Um, I recorded most of my album in my underwear. Too. Sweet. I want you to play a song. My, I have a friend here. Can I bring him back? Sure. Okay, hold on one second. I'm going to hit pause on this. I'm going to bring my friend back. Guys, Moshe Kasher's here. Mark's going to play so a couple songs. And uh, and I'll hold. I guess you won't know that I'm, you're holding. Look how look how quickly that happened, guys. Most cashers here. Oh, we're, I'm on. The, I'm on. Yeah, we're, yeah. We'll, oh, we'll, we'll wrap up with Mark, and then me and you'll start one. Right. And uh, Mark is 
uh, Mark is a father. I'm telling everyone's heard this already, but Mark's uh, Mark and our daughters are friends. And when he was back here the other day, and he and he's been a musician, a touring musician, a working musician for like 30 years. These are the people he's worked with: Chris Christopherson, Linda Ronstadt, Jackson Brown, Brian Wilson, Olivia Newton-John, Bonnie Raitt. None of them. <laughs> Uh, no Tupac. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. so he's gonna play. He's gonna play a song off his uh, off his album. Actually, it's not an off. The, I actually. Oh, in the mic, in the mic, in the mic. Sorry, sir. I'm working on a new album. Oh, is this off the new album? Yeah, I'm actually gonna do a tour, a trio record, and we're gonna record it on December 18th and 19th. All things going well. Uh, and so I've written a whole bunch of new tunes, and it's. Um, the working title of my album is Journey to the Center of My Fucked Up Trip. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working with that for right now. That sounds Benny, like the title of your book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ben, Benny suggested I call it Dark Side of the Chicken. Dark Side of the Chicken? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. I'll play, I love I, this morning. Uh, I love this morning. Apparently, her iPad, my Isla's my youngest, her iPad, or her iTouch pulls off of the cloud, which is my songs, and Isla this morning was saying... I got a pocket full of do the damn thing money. Oh yeah, man! And I was oh, like, wow. I was like, Isla, we do not share that at school. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. <laughs> so, uh, so awesome. Let's. I, okay, so yeah. this is. A, I'm going to play a little piece of a tune. Okay, it's called "Don't Talk to Me," at least for an hour. So, guys, this is it. This is how we'll wrap the podcast up. Beautiful music, Mark Goldenberg, Mark Goldenberg Five on Twitter.
Wow, that was fantastic, Mark. Oh, awesome, <laughs> Mark. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for. It's so no, no. It's so thank funny. I said the other day he picked up my guitar and was playing my guitar, and I was like, "Oh, he can really play." Like you forget, but thank you, man. Thank you. We're thanks uh, for having me. No, I appreciate it. Uh, if you want to find him on Twitter at Mark Goldenberg, Mark with a K yes. five or uh, markgoldenberg.com. and look for him at the Grammys. I'll Screen grab Grammys. him. Send me the picture. Nice. And uh, <laughs> and thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.